talk about coffee, you talk about food, you talk about cigars, you're talking about my family. Welcome to Tampa's Table, a culinary journey. I'm Jeff Houck. I'm Vice President of Marketing for the 1905 Family of Restaurants, and my guest today is Richard Gonsmart, fourth-generation caretaker of the 1905 Family of Restaurants, which includes Columbia, Eulalie, Goody Goody, Casa Santo Stefano, Cha-Cha Coconuts, and Cafe Con Leche Ybor City. I hope I got them all. I think so. Okay, good. Well, Welcome. <laughs> Good morning. Great to be with you today. Great to be with you. So, you know, we're talking about uh, a five-year span since the last cookbook came out for Visit Tampa Bay and the restaurants that were in there. I know you think in 10-year periods as short-term thinking. Sure. Tell me about what the last five years have been like in terms of Tampa's development of its restaurant scene. Ever since I started working full-time, I've seen Tampa transform uh, from a mom-and-pop restaurants to the chains coming in. And now we're going back to the independence. Uh, what what makes me happy is to see all these new restaurants opening by local individuals and uh, the taste of Tampa Bay and mm -hmm. those restaurants trying to use products that um, are sourced in this community or at least in the United States. Mm -hmm. To a lot more thoughtful inclusion of local ingredients. Then. I say history repeats itself often. And I think history is so important. And the history of Tampa and the cuisine of Tampa is um, what makes Tampa special. Sure. You know, that Cuban sandwich. Well, it's hard to beat that. As I, you know, I always joke about it, but it's true. It's, it's like time travel at the Columbia because that recipe is more than a century old. You know, it was called a mixed dish. So everybody's very confused about the Cuban sandwich and that Miami invented it. There were really no Cubans till 1958 in Miami. Right. But the recipe goes back to, to 1903. So um, in terms of the, the changing landscape in the past five years, you've also debuted Casa Santo Stefano in that period of time in November of 20. When you were developing that restaurant, what were some of the considerations you had? Obviously, economic, labor, and things like that. But in terms of what story you wanted to tell for Tampa's food history? Well, Casa Santo Stefano wasn't just happen. It, it's uh, probably a 40-year um, mission. Mm -hmm. It goes back to my childhood, uh, my best friend, Vincent Pallori, whose family owned Florida Dairy, and eating in his Nana Maria's house, Nano Salvatore, where we'd eat on Sunday. And families gathered around the table, and you ate uh, together, and you celebrate everything. So that project, uh, very dear to my heart. So it was a project that took seven, eight years, maybe nine. You know, five trips to Sicily, making connections. Um, coming back with family recipes from around the area. When you think about the Sicilians, 80% of them came from the village of Santo Stefano, Quisquina, and Arugento in Sicily. It's, uh, it's a city that's in the mountains in the central part, so they weren't along the, the uh, sea, which so therefore there was little seafood. Right. You know, to bring in the cheese from the Ferranti family from uh, Santo Stefano, Quisquina, the olive oil, the salt. Even our pasta is imported from, from Sicily different flavor well and i know that in the development of the restaurant like you talked about going back to sicily to make connections there were people that literally insisted on looking you in the eye and shaking your hand before they would make a deal that's correct you know the people with the cheese when i was talking for about a year and a half trying to get them approved to, to, to uh ship to the united states uh the gentleman calls me says we have a problem my father says, I can't sell you until he meets you. Now, mind you, I'm meeting with a gentleman that's 58 years old. 
That's just not our problem. We'll catch a plane. We, we flew down there and we talked and we talked about the stories and how to remember those people. And they know all those families that came from that village and right. they came to Tampa. So it was very easy. I, I love doing a business in Sicily and in Spain. A handshake is more important than any contract because they hold the word and we work together. It sounds a lot like the way Tampa used to run. It's the way I do business. I like to know the families. I like to meet with everybody and I try to work exclusively as much as possible with family-owned businesses. And and in terms of the importance of hospitality and food in Tampa, why is it so important to the tourism industry? We're telling a history of a real city, a small village that started back in the 1890s, really when Henry Plant had the, the vision to bring the rail and uh, the Tampa Bay Hotel. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, iconic place. And that Vicente Martinez Ebor brought the cigar industry from, from Key West and to Tampa, Ebor City in particular, which was named after him. Mm-hmm. Our port of Tampa is because of them. They would build, if you look at the cigar factories that still exist and you look on the top, you see a little tower of the glass. Since there was no telephone and there was no texting and there was no communication, somebody would stay up there with the binoculars and looking at the ship coming in and they'd go down to pick up the tobacco where there was 188 factories in, in Tampa, West Tampa and, and Ybor City. Tampa was founded by us. In my opinion, really became what it is because of the cigar industry. That's why our family started the business, to, to provide food for those people working, walking to work or home 24 hours a day, a place to, to grab a bite to eat or maybe a cold beer. I think about what what Tampa would be like without those cigar factories because without that, you wouldn't have all of the things that surround that that makes life wonderful, including restaurants, including saloons and things like that. I mean, the coffee that was roasted here was roasted for that purpose, for the cafecito at the rolling tables. It's all that history that's yeah. important to me. You know, my, my father's... Um, Grandfather and father came from Spain. My grandfather, uh, Marcelino Gonzalez, at the age of 15, on the bottom of a ship all by himself because he heard of an opportunity in Tampa. And he worked in the cigar industry all his life as a selector of the outer leaf, the wrapper, which was very important. Right. And my great-grandfather was a West Tampa leader and had and had an automobile part company in the 20s, early 20s and so forth. That's early. Yeah, and he made cigar boxes and and I knew him smoking a cigar from eight in the morning till seven o'clock at night. Uh, he died at the age of 89 when he climbed a peach tree, broke his hip, falling out of it and had pneumonia. So, I mean, you looked at the cigars, it was a, to him, it was that vegetables, that, that thing that he had every day, part of his meal. And uh, so the cigar industry had been part of my life. And now you look at my, my mom's pa- um, family came from Cuba. Right. And Casimiro Hernandez Sr. Uh, knew about the opportunity here with four young sons and not speaking the language was very difficult. And you talk about, though, my grandfather, Casimiro Jr., is the one that took on the, the leadership after his passing. And his youngest brother, uh, Evelio, affectionately named Chacho, like Muchacho, Hernandez, roasted coffee for our family from 1926 on. You talk about coffee, you talk about food, you talk about cigars, you're talking about my family. So it's so important to, to, to remember that. And I started to learn how to roast coffee with that 1926 Hobart coffee roaster at the age of 15 till I was 18. And I thought it was just the most fascinating thing because you really had to pay attention to the detail in the blend of the coffee. And I would go with him and, and we'd, we'd select the blends, that special blend that is ours, that is still used today by the Naviero coffee mill. 
it was so neat to be able to do that. And, and while I have that coffee roaster still, we're going to use it in a, in a project we're working on. So that that's the thing when people ask me about you. I'm like, you don't understand. He's roasted coffee. It's not like he just knows about food or cooking or things like, or operations. I mean, you've done every job. And, you know, that's part of it is being, I'm sure part of it is the family nature of the business. All the family is in, involved uh, up to a certain point, especially when it comes to second generation and 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 that family legacy. How hard is it to, to make it past the third, fourth, and fifth generation? It's very, very rare that you see make it to the third. Right especially to the fourth and to the fifth, less than 2% make it. So we're preparing the sixth. Right. I tell the story of my, to my, my daughters, my grandchildren. My first job was when I was three and a half years old. And I'd walked into the kitchen of the uh, restaurant. It was my playground. We'd come on Fridays. My mom would come to eat fish. And, and I walked into the cooler. I see these whole red snapper and grouper and pompano and trout and live crabs looking at me. And I went out the door screaming. And my grandfather says, get that pasta muchacho. What's wrong with you, kid? And the chef Sara Pico Perez is laughing at me. And I said, the fish were gonna bite me. It was really, really a special moment. Cause he says, come in here, let me show you. Right. You look in the eyes. I want you to look at the fish and tell me if the fish, look at the eyes for the clarity and the gills should be dark red and moist and get your finger and push, touch the outside of the flesh right, right. should be firm and you let me know if they're fresh and that i felt like such a big boy until one day and i don't know how old i was and i was crying he said oh, how did i get that bus now what's wrong with you i can't tell if the fish are fresh he said what are you talking about they don't have any heads and everybody laughed <laughs> but what they talked to me about they showed me where they did with the heads they took out the the uh the, they filleted them they took the bones and the head and they would make a stock for our paella that early, early lesson that I had stuck in my mind. And while we built a brand new state-of-the-art kitchen back in 2001, the new kitchen. The new kitchen. Um, that door still exists. It exists right next to the door that every waiter had to go out. I have a picture of that chef working the line where he would have worked looking down at the day that I remember him. And every day I walk by that door, nobody can believe me. I think of that first lesson, sure. that importance. And when my grandfather told me, you're only as good as your last meal. Those That's, are the lessons that a young, young three to six-year-old boy learned. That's what I tell people is that, you know, working for the 1905 family of restaurants, you're working for a business. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a corporation, but you're helping continue the legacy of a family and a, the story of Tampa. We're providing opportunity for others. Those that immigrated here in those days, and they worked hard, they didn't speak the language, and they were professionals. And I was blessed to work with many of them. I worked with one gentleman named Sarafin Martinez who worked for us for 47 years. And he finally retired after he put his son through uh, University of Florida and, and law school. And his son became the mayor of Tampa, eventually the governor, Bob Martinez. Mm -hmm. You know, he's still a customer. He's, he's a great customer, a wonderful friend. You know, Ramonin Lopez, at the age of 83, had Station 7, Table 10, 11, 12, and he served Mr. Woodruff, the owner of Tampa, um, have a Tampa Cigars. And, and he always remembered every client what he wanted, most professional man I ever saw. Never would write down an order, all armed service. And he retired when his son, who was the chief of neurology, University of Miami, Miami. maybe it's time to, to retire, Dad. And he did because he had his second pacemaker installed. But that was his life. And after, shortly after, he, he passed away. So you look at those histories, and, and we, we owe it to them. 
we owe to those that are here to us, today with us, working with us. They're an extended part of our family. We're not a large corporation. We may be a large business. Uh, we're not a chain. And I hate when people call us a chain because our family's involved in every field. It's a group. You know, my daughter, Andrea, started working at the age of 10. And my, my nephew, Casey Jr., was working in Sarasota at a young age. And, and they're that next generation. I meet with them every week to discuss that future. Because one day I won't be here, and they had that responsibility to carry on. Every generation in this family business, it shows every 25 years there is a crisis that would cause you to go out of business. That's why all these old restaurants you see that are no longer here Mm -hmm. didn't make that commitment Mm -hmm. or the change necessary, the evolving taste of the people. And I faced that challenge in 95, and I told my by uh, my daughter and nephew, I said, you will face one. And we and we did face one a few years ago and I helped them get through and we came out stronger than ever. Well, the other thing too is that a lot of people focus on the fact that that you tell so many stories through the food, so, many, so much history through the food. But as I know you, you're a person who's thinking of the future at all times. <laughs> And and you you know not in anticipation but in okay where do we want to go from here what is our path well you have to understand you have to change with the times in the forties it was a, a luxury to serve canned vegetables canned fruit oh my goodness fresh wasn't good and so when I started working in the restaurant after finishing school at the University of Denver and University of Madrid I told Dad you know we got to get rid of the canned early June peas and the canned mushrooms and the canned corn and the most popular salad, more popular than the 1905 salad, the Spanish mixed salad. I coined it the Spanish canned salad. Everything was canned. And so I started going to the market on Hillsborough Avenue and buying all the products for the two restaurants and then delivering them myself, loading my truck. First time I went, they said, where's your truck? I said, I can put the top down on my car. <laughs> and that's how it began. Began. It was changing, and um, businesses don't evolve, and they don't look at what the future is. Every industry does. So what I do every morning is I, uh, I woke up at 2 this morning. I start scouring to see what stories I might want to read, whether it be about a large retailer that's closed the doors recently or, or restaurants that um, didn't survive. It's to learn those mistakes, but then also to learn the successes. The other thing that I know, I'm blessed to know, is that I'll get an email from like 2.30 in the morning, and it's a recipe that you found, and that you know, you're like, oh, we, we need to try this. And next thing you know, it appears and we try it and we mm-hmm. kind of put it in places to where it might might fit in. But to be still so passionate about ingredients and flavor and cooking after all this time, where does that come from? <sighs> Yeah, it from my grandfather, from my mother, seeing her cook at home. So just uh, this morning, I think at six, I got a delivery of some spice. It was a Japanese spice for a taki. Why would I want that? It's all recipe. So I was tasting it, and I brought it to the office. I don't know what I'd do with it, but trying to find that which might be different. You know, well, in Tampa, we have to look to see what's happening outside of Tampa. I don't want to look at what they're doing here or copy anybody. Right. I, that's what, what for. But my travels to Spain, to Italy, um, throughout Europe, wherever it might be, called me, uh, you know, I was recently in Norway looking at some food and, and products and ideas I have for my uh, upcoming project coming in the, hopefully in the near future. How do you stay ahead of everybody? How are you Florida's oldest restaurant? How do you maintain that? We weren't always. Right. But we have to be leaders in our industry. We're doing so much to try to help the industry understand the importance of training 
those that work for us to serve those that uh, support us. The other thing too that I, you know, when you're talking about the the excitement level is um, people have these grand ideas that restaurateurs only want to do the most, you know, extravagant things. But yet I remember from one of your travels, you came back so excited about a whole chicken and that was prepared on a ship. And yet you were just so, how can we do this? How can we do this? Simple is better. Yeah. This, this was a ship that Thomas Keller, the famed rest, uh, a chef from uh, California, had a restaurant. And I would go on there every day. And their most noted item there was a rotisserie chicken. I was rotisserie chicken. Come on, get out of town. And after my fourth visit, I uh, his uh, visiting chef uh, that worked for him was on board. And I ordered that rotisserie chicken. It was like marvelous. I mean, how could something something so simple that you see that you might get in a in a grocery store be so wonderful? It's one that I still uh, and I wrote to that their chef and talking about it, but they brought it out tableside and with all the vegetables underneath had been cooked and they carved it off the bone. There's chicken and then there was that chicken, and I'm determined to create that chicken for a, an, another concept we have coming When you out. talk about, I imagine a halo around the chicken, like it's this golden, beautiful, perfect chicken. And I took I pictures. I get hungry and I didn't even eat it. I took I take pictures of all foods. If right. you look at my phone for my travels, it, typically it's 90% <laughs> food, 10% dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Might be higher on dogs, I'm just saying. Maybe higher on dogs, yeah. <laughs> you know, but it, it, it's seeing those, because you can't, I mean, although I have a, a, a a, a phototypographic memory. I, I want to see it. I can taste it. Mm -hmm. I can remember um, the unique flavors to it. So it's constantly, you know, salt and pepper are my go-to. Garlic, always. But to, to, to discover new things, you know, visit, when, when doing you lately, that I traveled from Miami to Peru, going through Central America to go see indigenous tribes, those mm -hmm. foods that were still being used that we no longer see here. But to discover that. And this and, is for the native inspired menu. Yeah, it was. You know, to Peru where I discovered so much and I'm going back there and taking that same route again for that a new concept. That those flavors, those foods that um, aren't seen. I don't need to do something everybody else is doing. My dad said when it was popular to do black and red fish, I said, I'm gonna put it on the menu of the Columbia. That's a fad. It'll be here and gone. Mm -hmm. You have to be true to who you are and be um, a leader and, a, and unique in what you do. Just like the chef that came from Spain in 1935, he was a chef to the King of Spain, uh, Francisco Piwan. He created so many dishes that uh, didn't realize came from the Colombia. So if you know trout uh, a la rusa, trout Russian stock came out of the Colombia. All these dishes that came, the Spanish bean soup didn't exist in Spain. It came up to, from a cocido madrileño uh, where they would put all different courses. So when I look at what the people say, we're not Spanish, we're not Cuban. No, because we're the Columbia restaurant. Trip represents a community that came to Tampa and called it home and still do. Yeah. You know, if you walk through the kitchen at the Columbia, you'll see a sign that says, uh, yes, we can. I wondered <laughs> if you could talk about that philosophy and where that came from and how that permeates what we do. Listen, I hate the word no. No, nothing. And sometimes you have to say no to certain things. But, you know, if you want to have this, the steak satya with no green peppers, why not? Because everything's made to order. I, these restaurants that can, it's because they're buying something pre-made or mm -hmm. pre-packaged and so forth. Whatever you want. You don't want onions? That's fine. Garlic? I can't imagine food without garlic, but we'll do it. So we, we have that ability to do that and just whatever the guest wants. Uh, uh, 
to the best of our ability. If we can't, we just have to explain why we can't if we don't have a particular ingredient. I remember the story of the gentleman who came in and wanted Cuban sandwiches and the the it was server table originally. 60 in the patio. <laughs> it's not that you Lu- remember it or anything. Lucas was a server. <laughs> it was 1978 and he came over to me. He said, there's three gentlemen that at nighttime want to have Cuban sandwiches and we shouldn't serve Cuban sandwiches at dinner time. I said, well, that's what they feel like eating. Well, look at the way they're dressed. They're dressed in blue jeans. I said, well, that's, they want to be comfortable. Lucas, you will serve them the Cuban sandwiches. And shortly afterwards, he came back and said, you know, they want a bottle of Dom Perignon. Well, you shouldn't serve them the Dom Perignon because they're having Cuban sandwiches. I didn't know the gentleman, but they were coming off their yacht. They'd been fishing. What's the difference? Right. That's a short-term solution. But that was one of those experiences I always use. And, and Lucas was always happy to serve a Cuban sandwich <laughs> afterwards. Do you have a, a favorite uh, flavor of Tampa? Uh, is it guava coffee? Is it <sighs> Cuban bread? Oh, yeah. Hard to beat. You know, Cuban bread, when um, the Moray family had been making our Cuban bread for over 100 years, working with them. Uh, and I was 18 years old, and my one of my jobs working was to go pick up the bread at the, the uh, bakery. And it's about uh, a mile and a quarter away, and, and the bread would come out hot. And I'd pull a loaf out. I'd start eating it. And there was like uh, three quarters of the loaf gone. And after a month, I told my dad, I can't do this job anymore. I've gained 10 pounds. <laughs> but, you know, Cuban bread to me is such a unique thing. And, and the number one item that we spend money on on a monthly basis, people love their Cuban bread. And I'm so determined. We have a video, hopefully they're using it, how to warm Cuban bread and cut it. When I walk through the restaurants, I see where we're slicing the bread and heating it to order. And I see they've cut the end off. I'll take the end to the general manager, the managers. You have somebody that knew it's here that didn't see the video. What are you talking about? They cut the best part off. When you're Anglos, you don't like that miracle over the end. Right. That's the best part. And so when I go through and they see me, it comes in. I know the portion, I take up a little piece. You're not supposed to cut the end off. You're not supposed to cut it off unless you're going to eat it. Correct. <laughs> Well, the other the, one of the things I, I I remember, and I love it seeing it. Some of the happiest times that I've seen you in the restaurant is when you're walking through. You get a hunk of Cuban bread, you get a hunk of something else, and and you just have a little bit of. It might be a canned sardine, it might be something or something from a can from Spain, and you just sit there with a beer, just kind of eating by yourself, and it reminds you of your days well, in Spain. You know, it? you know, when I I was married, I was going to attend the University of Madrid, and I was going to get married when I got back, and my dad said says, Richard, you should get married to Melanie. You, you know, you'll be much happier. And I can't think of enough. We got married September 12th, uh, 1973, 50 years ago. And we went together and we grew up together. When I was in class, we had a break at five, at 10 in the morning where we'd go to get a caña, a draft beer, and a bocadillo de sardina, a, a sardine sandwich. I said, that's just the best breakfast in the world. In Spain, tinned seafood is a luxury. Sure. They tin their best product. Here we look at tin being poor quality. And I've got some tin items in our in my office that you and I have to taste today. I, I, I volunteer. And I've have it, I've had it there. We have to try it. So, you know, it, it's that memory when I go there. So when I eat that, I'm, I'm ADD dyslexic, and um, I see things. And when I talk, the video is like right now, when I'm telling you about it, I can see sure. the, the bar and going there. And that was like the best part of the day before we went on to cook. You know, so we would cook from seven in the morning till, uh, and sometimes you had to come in at five, depending mm-hmm. on the shift, until two in the afternoon. 
we had four different departments. What I found out in my last department was baking. I'm great at eating it. I'm horrible at baking. <laughs> baking is a science. Chemistry. It's chemistry. Yeah. And, you know, chefs, we uh, do a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And so I will do that over and over. To try to replicate it sometimes is difficult. But it's those memories. You know, all this goes back in mind. My mind is constantly racing and racing and racing and racing and thinking what we could do. My wife says, I have to slow down. Stop that uh, merry-go-round. I said, no, I just got to run faster. You know, I've got to prepare myself for the day. I step away from the day-to-day activity and sure. pass it on to the next generation. I'll never, ever retire. No. I'll help those young people that need to focus on the future and opportunities. That's that's my goal for the next stage of my life. Sure. It's to you be know, busier than I am now. I, I, I can see that. <laughs> um, you know, people have this fantasy in their head about what it's like at home for restaurateurs or chefs. Um you know, there must be this elaborate setup and everything. What do you like to cook for company? I see you laughing at this because you get this question um, a lot, um, I'm sure. Listen, I, I love to cook. My wife's a wonderful cook. She is, but. What do I, you like I, to cook? I love to cook everything. I like it when there's a refrigerator, got this and that and that. It's like, okay, let's what, see what you can make out of this. Like one of those challenges. Sometimes I don't always succeed. I like getting fresh tomatoes, making a fresh uh, sauce, fresh. Um, I, I love making pasta. I love cooking anything. I love cooking breakfast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I try to make new home fries every different time. So I don't have, the, I don't use the same recipe. I'm trying to find that perfect home fry. One day I'll find One it. One day you'll find it. Not giving up hope. <laughs> so the cookbook, uh, again, as I said, the new edition has recipes from Colombia, Yaleli, Goody Goody, and Casa Santo Stefano. And from Colombia, it's Paella a la Valenciana. Um, Yaleli has the okra fries, goody goody. It's the OMG French toast, and Casa Santo Stefano is the Casareccia Rinaldi. You know, the paella is, it seems intimidating to people, but it doesn't have to follow that exact recipe. It's a preparation of the rice. It's really a rice dish. If you go to Spain, you'll be amazed how little bit there is of other ingredients. It's all about rice. And here they'll sit there and say, it's not enough seafood. Oh my goodness. But it's putting that what you like. You know, arroz con pollo valenciana could, is really, really a, a paella of chicken and yellow rice. Mm-hmm. There's a Cuban method. When I went to to, um, to Valencia, when I was on our honeymoon, Melanie and I, we went to Valencia. We ordered a paella valenciana, and they served me yellow rice and chicken. And thinking I know everything, I found out I know very little. Right. You didn't order a paella de mariscos. It was chicken yellow rice. But it's a fun dish to do with family. It's a fun dish to do it, uh, at at, uh, at home on a Sunday. Don't be so intimidated. The recipe is, is approachable. You know, French toast was the first dish I ever learned to cook at home when I was a child. I was six years old. My mom was teaching me how to make French toast. So, oh my God, French toast had to be different, had to be unique. And that syrup, I love syrup. The, uh, and then we use Cuban bread at uh, Goody Goody for the French toast. The Casa Ricci uh, Rinaldi, was, uh, it, say it's not Sicilian, it's not this and that. It was on a trip to Italy one time and I had it and I've tried the recipe before and I demanded that we try this recipe and one chef said, well, that's not, they don't do that in Sicily. Said, Listen, we don't, we do a lot of things that we they don't do in Sicily, but the people that came from Sicily did it here because they adapted. And I was having, trying it at the, uh, inside Casa Santa Stefano off our hour when Caesar Rinaldi walks by he gives tours of uh, uh, to Italy his family he lives in San Antonio mm-hmm. what's that dish called I want to order I said well tell me what what I have and so that's why I named after him and so then, it pays to walk past you when you're tasting new things if you're if you ask me I'll <laughs> let you taste with me 
And if you're lucky, and I'm sampling wines. That's the best time to come try <laughs> wines. You know, it, it's sampling. And uh, where I don't drink as much people think, they may go there and they'll see 20 bottles of wine or see 10 bottles of whiskey on there. It's takes tasting and, and learning. You know, your taste buds can be educated. Have you been surprised about how popular the okra fries are at Yaleli? That was my idea. And I said, nobody's going to want this. And my mom, my wife said, because it's slimy. So we're going to do this. I remember trying and trying to convince uh, the chef, everyone, and uh, yeah, I'm surprised. I'm still surprised. But I'm still trying to find a better way to slice them. So that's an item I do at home. I'll test along the way. But um, a lot of the ideas that I come up with uh, um, sometimes take a little while. But there's one that I'm that we're testing, and and my team hasn't let me try it yet because they don't want me to get too fired up. <laughs> but it's something that goes back to what Tampa was. Right. And, and I can't say it because some restaurateur is going to hear it and put it on the menu. That happens all the time. It does. So I can't wait to try that one. It's, it really reflects on the Native American-inspired food. Everything that I'm doing is, is that Native American-inspired food. So we have different dishes that we're going to bring in that are new, unique. I think people, you have to stay current. You have to refresh. So why not try to prepare something new every day? <laughs> So okay. something I've not asked anybody that I will ask you, Ooh. and I haven't prepared you for this, so I apologize. It just came to me. If you could look into the future and send a message, say, 25 years from now, if you want to look into that camera and tell somebody in the future mm -hmm. what you hope for Tampa's food to be. Well, you know, 1979, my dad left a, a business card on a door that we had shuttered. He left the key. He says, I, I love you very much and miss you. I hope you're well. Love, Dad. I hope in 25 years my daughter or grandchildren will think what I did is that the Columbia Restaurant Group, 1905 Family Restaurants, cares about you, those that call Tampa home, because that's what's most important, and those that are visitors. I'm proud of the fact that today the Columbia Restaurants, 83% of our visitors, our diners, are from the Tampa Bay area when there was a time where we depended on tourists. Tourists is so, so, so important for every one of us. That's why we don't have to pay uh, income tax on our state of Florida. Visit Tampa Bay is crucial to the success of Tampa. I'm proud to be a member and proud to support the, this recipe book. And I look forward to the next time that we introduce some new items on the menu and that the next generation will be here talking with you. I'm proud to be a part of your legacy, and I thank you for inviting me to be a part of it, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you. And thank you for joining us on Tampa's Table, A Culinary Journey. Look for other episodes of the podcast on YouTube and wherever podcasts are found, and be sure to pick up a copy at the Visit Tampa Bay gift shop and wherever the book is available. Thank you for joining us again.